Hello, everyone. Go again. Hello. Hello, everyone. I'm James, and this is Elliot. Today, we're going to be reading Psalms 9, and so are all of you. So, it starts like this. For the director of music to the tune of the death of the son, a psalm of David. Now then, yeah, if you're older than me, 22, then can you read the italics? And if you're younger, or close to Elliot's age, can you read the bold? All right, let's get started. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause. Sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my enemies. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness. And judges the people with equity. Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. A stronghold in time of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death. That I may declare your praise in the gates of daughter Zion. And there rejoice in your salvation. The nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead. All the nations that forget God. But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. Arise, Lord. Do not let mortals triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, Lord. Let the nations know they are only mortal. Great. Thank you. Excellent. All right, guys, what you need to do now is there's a table over there of pencils. I want you to go and get a worksheet and head back to your parents. And then, you know, you guys are so great when you're in with us at quietly working away, listening to the sermon and um, doing those worksheets. So let's see if you can do that again today. Go grab some pencils, some worksheets, and then head back to your parents. Everyone else, just say hello briefly to those around you, and we'll come back together in just a second. All right. We might... 
pray for God to be with us and keep going. So um, kids, grab a seat with your parents and let me pray for us and then we're going to look at this psalm together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you speak powerfully and wonderfully to us in your word. We thank you for the psalm that we've just heard read. Speak to us now through it uh, so that we might know you better and serve you uh, and our hearts may be joined to your purposes for this world and that we may choose and want in this life uh, what you want us to um, desire. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, after years and years of uh, getting bikes off the side of the road and picking up dodgy things at um, garage sales, we finally got a couple of new bikes for our kids recently. There's a bit of a video of them playing with them. Now, I shouldn't really say this, especially since the kids are all with us here today, but it really shows what the power of complaining can achieve. Basically, Kathy and I couldn't face another holiday with bikes, heavy bikes, with gears that don't really work. And to be fair to the kids, the bikes were pretty dodgy that they had before. So there's been a whole heap of bike riding at the George House recently. Um, The kids have been riding around for the last couple of weeks. But the first time that we took these bikes out for a proper spin, it was a little bit interesting. There was a crazy moment where we were flying down this grassy, bumpy hill... And one of my kids, I won't say which one, suddenly started going wobbling all over the place with legs flying out and I was behind him watching it felt like in slow motion, just waiting for the crash and trying, trying to be prepared not to run over the top of him. Thankfully though, he made it down to the, the bottom, still on his bike and fine. Another time, uh, and, and when we got down to the bottom of the hill, the kind of the relief that I felt, the thankfulness that I felt was huge. And I feel like I've, I've had heaps of times like that on bikes over the years. So last year on holidays in Robe, down a huge kind of gravelly um, hill in Robe, a different uh, child this time, missed the corner and just went sailing straight out off, uh, off a gravelly kind of hill. Um, luckily, he landed half in a bush and half in the sand and he was fine. Or another time in Kosciuszko, the same, same child... As I came around the corner, I found him in a ditch with his bike on top of him. And even myself, I I don't take the A tracks on mountain bike trails anymore. I take the B tracks. If there was a C track, I'd take that, but there's usually not. Because one time I was riding down a, a huge rock and tipped forward, landed on my head and then slid down my side, uh, down the hill. And you remember last holidays, the incident with the brown snake that I fell on top of. Who knows what stories I'm going to come back with after two weeks of holidays. But in every one of those stories, I I can feel it right now, that sense of relief and thankfulness that you get when it all turns out okay, whether it's one of the kids or whether it's me. There's a huge feeling of of relief and a a huge sense of thankfulness at those times. Has Kathy ever gotten into something like that? Kathy hasn't, no. That feeling of of relief and that, that... that thankfulness is kind of like what's going on in this ancient psalm that we're looking at today. It's written 3,000 years ago. And it's like that, except it's a little bit different because David's facing a situation, of course, far, far worse than stacking your bike, as we heard read, as we read. He's facing enemy nations trying to destroy him 
and to destroy God's people. And another difference is that he's expressing that feeling of relief and thankfulness to God before he's even been rescued. This would be like me midway through that fall onto the brown snake, feeling relieved that God had already saved me. Now, I don't know if it's just my lack of faith, but I can tell you that's not what I was feeling as I was uh, coming close to that snake. So let's have a closer look at this psalm and, and see how this unfolds. So it starts like this in verse 1. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. One of the marks of, of someone who believes in God is thankfulness. We don't thank our lucky stars, we don't thank goodness, we don't thank ourselves. Our sense of thankfulness is directed towards a personal being, our God. David's doing that here and he's not half-hearted about it. He does it with all his heart. He's not holding anything back, he, he really feels it. But David doesn't just have a vague sense of thankfulness, he's thankful for a reason. He goes on to say, hey, sorry, excuse me, don't touch it, I can take care of it up here, okay? Got someone helping out, just a little bit too helpful. (laughs) So he goes on to say, I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. Now sometimes when we're not really feeling it with God, we can make the mistake of thinking that we've got to look within ourselves to create those feelings, the right feelings, when actually that's probably not going to help us at all. We've got to look outside ourselves, beyond ourselves. We've got to look to God Himself and particularly we've got to look to what He's done, His wonderful deeds. It's only as we look to God and, and, and who He's shown Himself to be that our hearts will actually be able to jump to praise God like they should. It's, um, it's kind of like trying to walk on a wall. Unless you keep your eyes on what's in front of you, you'll fall off. If you're always sort of trying to look over your shoulder when you're walking on a wall, then you'll have no hope of staying up there. And following God is a little bit like that. We've got to keep our eyes on Him, on the facts about who God is and what He's done. Keep your eyes on the facts and in time, the feelings will follow. There'll be days when they don't, weeks, months even when they don't. But if we keep our eyes on God and what He's done, the feelings will follow. But it seems to me, often as Christians, we we tend to get this the wrong way round. We take our eyes off the facts about God and we worry about the feelings sometimes and we can get a bit shaky We think, am I really into God enough? Why aren't I really feeling it? Why isn't my walk with God all joy and happiness in believing? But looking within like that, it won't help us. It's only keeping our eyes on God and His wonderful deeds that that will make our hearts sing. As I said before, David's thankful to God, not because everything's going wonderfully for him, In verse 3, he tells us that he has enemies in the past. In verse 13, he has enemies present. But this doesn't stop him from thanking and praising God with all his heart. Why? Well, we see first that David says, thankfulness comes from remembering God's past victories. David remembers the facts. He remembers what God's done. Look at verse 4 with me. 
He writes, For you have upheld my right and my cause, sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You've rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You've blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my enemies. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. Now, what's going on here is is not like with Syria today, where it's really hard in Syria to to pick the right side to go for, you know, the right side on the battle. In Syria, all sides seem to be messed up. All sides seem to have committed war crimes. And so it's, it's impossible to pick a side that's fully in the right. This is quite different. God has chosen in the past David to be his king over his people for the sake of the world. And so when the nations are lining up against him... They're actually lining up against God. And when they line up against God, they line up against a righteous judge who will always do what's fair, which God says here will be erasing even the memory of the existence of these enemies. Now, we might think that sounds harsh, but David certainly doesn't. And actually, neither should we. See, don't you think it'll be a great day when people say, ISIS, who is that again? You know, were they some band in the 80s? Or don't you think it'll be a fantastic day when when people say, did there used to be a North Korea? When they say, King John who? It'll actually be great when those kind of people, those kind of threats, those kind of dangers are just completely forgotten about because they no longer exist. That's the kind of longing That's the kind of action that David is remembering that God has done in the past. We should be very careful sitting in judgment on God, the righteous judge, who always does what's good. We should be very careful before attempting to call him to give an account to us. But, of course, that's what we often do as humans. We're prone to forget that we're mere mortals and we're prone to acting like we're God and we're pretty comfortable questioning his goodness and questioning his right to judge us. But not David. David doesn't question God's right to judge. Instead, he takes refuge in God, the righteous judge. David, here is now faced with a, a new round of enemies, trying to destroy him and trying to destroy God's people. And his heart is filled with overwhelming relief and thankfulness because he knows God rules forever. He knows that God's proved himself in the past and he'll prove himself again. And there's another reason why David's hard circumstances don't stop him being thankful and praising God. David says his thankfulness comes from remembering that God will never forget his people who are in need. David remembers the character of God He remembers God's heart. Look at verse 9. He says, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. To those who know, sorry, those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. What a claim. You, Lord, have never forsaken those who who seek you. What a reason to be thankful, even in the face of terrible danger. Anyone who trusts in God, anyone who seeks the true God, will never be forsaken by God. 
in verse 12, God will remember them. God will avenge their blood. God will not ignore their cries. It's just not compatible with the character of God to turn a deaf ear to his people when they genuinely seek him. Even though David is the king, he himself in this psalm is one of the oppressed. He's one of the afflicted here. Look at verse 13. Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death that I may declare your praises in the gates of daughter Zion and there rejoice in your salvation. His situation is so serious that he says he stands at the gates of death and he asks God to save him so he can stand again in the gates of Jerusalem and declare God's praises. But even before then, in the face of such awful times, he still praises God because he knows God will not forget him. In fact, David says in this psalm that all the efforts of his enemies to try and destroy him are actually going to be their very downfall. They're only digging their own graves. Look at verse 15. The nations have fallen into the pit they've dug. Their feet are caught in the net they've hidden. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. So often our world celebrates opposition to God. This opposition might take many different forms. There are secular versions of this opposition that are pretty forcefully opposed to God and dedicated to erasing all memory of God from public space. But there are many forms of opposition to God apart from aggressive secularism as well. There's militant atheism, there's apathetic agnosticism, there's even religious opposition to God. There's a way of of using religion to try to pacify and domesticate God and as a weapon to use against those who disagree with you. And have you noticed that opposition to God is nearly always directed against God's chosen king? Often it's okay to talk about God in a kind of general way, people don't get upset with you when you do that, but try talking about Jesus as the Son of God and that is completely unacceptable. Opposition to God can can feel like you're achieving something. But in reality, David tells us here, we are only constructing our own ruin when we are opposing God. Now, you see this played out in small ways and in big ways. If we reject God, we might feel liberated. But actually, God tells us that He's handing us over to our rejection of Him. He gives us what we want and it will ultimately destroy us whether as individuals or as a society, our opposition to God is actually us creating our own downfall. David goes on to diagnose the heart of the problem of what's going on when we oppose God. He says in verse 17, the wicked go down to the realms of the dead, all the nations that forget God. Here's our problem. People are made to remember God. We're made to know His name, to to praise His work, to have hearts that overflow with thankfulness. But instead, we forget God. Not because God's made Himself unclear or not because of something that's outside of our control has caused us to forget, 
we see why we forget in verse 19. Arise, Lord, do not let mortals triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, Lord. Let the nations know they are only mortal. We forget God because we forget we're only mortal. We forget that God alone is God and so we put ourselves in his place. We forget God, but look at verse 18. But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. So as David faces terrible enemies yet yet again, he remembers that God saved him in the past and he remembers that God will never forget his people who are in need. Well, how does this ancient song, 3,000 years old, how does it speak to us today? The question in this psalm and in many psalms is, can we share David's confidence? Can we remember God's past victories for us and can we remember God's character and know that he'll defend our cause? The answer comes from figuring out whose song this is. Is this David's song as a believer, just like us? Or is this his song as God's chosen king over his people? It's a little bit tricky to figure out in this psalm because some parts sound like David speaking just as an ordinary believer, but other parts make it very clear that he's speaking as the king. So none of us have nations standing against us as enemies like David does here. So this is actually David's song as God's chosen king. And it's only our song as we come under God's chosen king rule. This is really important to get because it, it changes how we sing this psalm. It's not my cause that God will defend first and foremost... It's his chosen king's cause. And so if I'm, I'm heading into court being sued for something, I can't claim this psalm as a guarantee of my victory, at least not in the sense that I'll win the case. Or if I, I meet ISIS, I can't claim this psalm as a guarantee that I'll be spared by them. This is a psalm expressing complete confidence that God will save his chosen king even though his chosen king walks through the shadow of some terrible times, God will save him. What this psalm tells us is that the cause of God's king will never fail. But of course, this is incredibly good news for us because God's chosen king has made his cause our cause. Jesus, of course, is God's chosen king. That's what Christ or or Messiah points to. So this song is Jesus' song. He's the afflicted, oppressed king who triumphs over the nations as he takes up our cause to deal with sin and death. And so this song only becomes our song when we line up with him. And that doesn't mean victory in every battle in this life for us. It means that Jesus' cause will never fail. It means we'll share in his ultimate victory over death and evil. But it also means we'll share in being afflicted in this life. This is what Romans 8 verse 16 picks up. Paul writes, 
the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. See, what this means is that we can share David's relief and David's thankfulness, even in the face of hard times. Because right now, God rules forever. Right now, Jesus rules. It might seem like chaos. The complexity of everything might be well beyond us. But God's got it covered. And He will not let the cause of His chosen King fail. So, like David, we too can remember God's wonderful deeds, like Jesus' resurrection. And we too can remember His character. He will never forget His people in need. He will never leave us or forsake us. And so, like David, our hearts too can be filled with relief and thankfulness, no matter what our circumstances. I was struck by this just the other day. One of, one of our congregation um, recently was faced with some pretty heavy circumstances, something that could threaten their life. Um, and when I asked this person, so how do you feel? They said to me, it's okay, it's a win-win situation. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, really, I'm just threatened with glory. Isn't that beautiful? Facing death, they said, threatened with glory. Because Jesus has taken up our cause when we follow Him, the worst that can happen to us is that we can be threatened with glory. It's like Jesus said in, in John 10, 27, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And so because of Jesus, we too can sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion and proclaim among the nations what he's done. Let me uh, lead us in prayer and then we're going to continue to sing about his great name and about his wonderful deeds. Father, we thank you so much uh, for the power of the Psalms to lift not just our minds, but to lift our hearts, to have that confidence in you that we need to, to live for you. Lord, we thank you so much that because Jesus, your chosen King, has taken up our cause, that he lives and rules forever as our King, that we can know no matter what circumstances, nothing can separate us from his love and from being with Him victorious in the world to come. Lord, we thank You that that gives us the strength to face each day. Lord, the strength to face hard circumstances. Lord, that the worst that can happen to us is that we might be threatened with glory. We give You great thanks that we can know this kind of relief and this kind of thankfulness in our life. Lord, help us when we're not feeling it. Help us to keep our eyes on your wonderful deeds and on your character, on the facts. But we pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit at work amongst us, you would stir our hearts to really feel what you've done for us as well so that we can live for you with joy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.